Welcome to East Hills Alliance Church. Real people experiencing real change because of a real Savior. In the middle of the Christmas story in in Luke chapter 1, Mary echoes some of those same words we just heard from Psalm 98 in Luke 1 verse 46. It says, Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. Oh, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. This uh, begs a couple of questions for me. Uh, she says her, her very soul finds joy in her situation, uh, which leads me to ask, um, how does a soul feel joy? Uh, if that's possible, how do I get there? Because that sounds fantastic. Um, and and, and let's, let's be honest, uh, not all of us are experiencing what we would call joy in this Christmas season. And sometimes in, in a, a season like this, it feels all the more stark because we, we feel like we should be experiencing some joy. So how is it, why is it that Mary is experiencing joy, a, a soul, she says, that's rejoicing? And, and how could we possibly experience that? Maybe, maybe it's just because Mary's circumstances are just that miraculous and, and fantastic. She says her whole soul rejoices. I think to dig into this a little bit, it's helpful to, uh, to know or to remember that our Western civilization concept of soul is a very Greek philosophical concept. We've been holding on to this for a couple thousand years now. This idea that we have this invisible thing in us or around us or representing us that uh, when our body turns to dust again and, and melts away, uh, that this invisible thing will live on past our, our bodies. That's a very Greek philosophical idea of soul. And uh, the, the problem with that is even though uh, Luke is writing in Greek, the biblical understanding of soul is, is just different and um, fuller and more embodied than this invisible thing that we, we picture when we think of uh, a soul. Uh, so the word soul in this passage uh, is spelled like the word psyche, uh, which is where we get psychology and that kind of thing. But this is more than just mental aptitude or mental health. What, what the Greek word psyche, which is as close as I'm going to get this morning to pronouncing that correctly, what the Greek word psyche means is it means life. It, it most literally means breath or, or spirit, but, but we're thinking spirit is like vitality, so it's, it's breath, it's vitality, it is, it's life. Uh, the Old Testament uh, Hebrew word for soul uh, essentially refers to anything that, that gives life. So again, it's, it's breath, it's your vitality, um, it, it is uh, anything through which you experience life in, in that sense. And so Luke uh, 
writing in Greek, wanting to, to maintain this uh, biblical view of soul, uses the word CK. So when we're talking about uh, our soul, uh, we're, we're talking about our, our life, okay? Uh, Luke actually uses this word CK in two other passages in his uh, gospel. And I just want to know, because uh, some of y'all are newer around here, um, and if... Um, if your favorite part of the sermons you've heard the last couple of weeks is that we're tearing apart the Greek and Hebrew behind the words, or if your least favorite part is that, either way, I just want to let you know that that's not standard for me. Uh, I, I, in fact, it's it's not uh, something that I want to stand up here and go, well, the you know the root word of this means that. Like that's just not normally how I think through things. But we're digging into some very specific words this Christmas season, and uh, we want to talk about why here. And so as we do, we want to dig into what does the what are these words really mean when we're reading them in, in English? What were they really intended to mean? So Luke uses this word CK in, uh, in two other places uh, that I want to look at this morning. It's the only other two places he uses it in his gospel. Uh, and the first one I want to look at is in Luke chapter 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. So uh, if you're following along in a, a paper Bible or, or uh, Bible on your phone, in Luke chapter 10, Verse 25, one day an expert in religious law, which we would say like an Old Testament expert, right? One day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? In other words, you tell me. The man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart all your soul, all your CK, all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. Do this and you will live. And this Old Testament expert, this uh, religious law expert is quoting something that everybody around him uh, would have known and heard before because it's this uh, ancient Jewish prayer that's recorded in Deuteronomy 6. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all of your strength. And Jesus says, this is the core of how we find life. We love God with all we are and we love others with all we have. And so this Christmas season, we're looking at this uh, command to love God with our whole heart, our whole soul, our whole strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves because Jesus says this is the core of how you will find life. And the Christmas story puts on display for us how God loved us with all he is and with all he has. So we lean in the Christmas story. To do that, we'll return to Mary and the verse we started with in Luke chapter one, verse 46. Mary responded, oh, how my soul praises the Lord. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. So anytime uh, a preacher guy uh, or gal stands up here and starts in the middle of a chapter or middle of a passage, and we read words like therefore, or meanwhile, or responded, 
should cause us to ask the question, responded to what? So if you are following along in your own Bible, you can look immediately above uh, the verse we just read, and you will see that uh, what Mary is most immediately responding to is a visit uh, to her much older cousin or relative, Elizabeth. And by this point, Mary is pregnant with the baby Jesus, uh, but just barely. And her cousin Elizabeth is about six months ahead of her, pregnant with her own baby. And uh, that's miraculous in and of itself because Elizabeth is uh, considerably too old uh, to be pregnant. And um, that's its own story that Luke opens his gospel with. Um, And when Mary and Elizabeth meet, Elizabeth reports that the baby inside of her jumped for joy inside of her at the meeting of Mary and uh, her uh, baby Jesus. So Mary's most immediately responding to that, and that's a cool moment to respond to. But if you're going to say your soul, your life rejoices, your spirit is full of joy, there's got to be more going on than one jumping baby, okay? So we'll back up a little bit farther and go, all right, what is the situation that Mary is in? What is causing her to say, my soul rejoices? What is she responding to? So we're going to back all the way up to Luke chapter 1, verse 26 which says, in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. I'll pause there just to say that we know where we're headed is Mary's soul, her life rejoiced. And I just want us to note and uh, hopefully agree that if confused and disturbed aren't the exact opposite of joy, they're in that category, okay? If this thing is on a spectrum, joy is on one end, confused and disturbed. We have, well, I guess I don't wanna speak for you. I have been confused and disturbed at many times in my life, and that, that feels very opposite of, of joy. So she's going to go all the way from confused and disturbed to her soul rejoicing. Luke continues in verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And this is poetic, and it's beautiful, and Mary has a very practical question. Verse 34, Mary asked the angel, but how? (laughs) But how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. And that is probably enough to rejoice over. She is not the first and certainly not the last woman who would rejoice over being pregnant, who would rejoice over somebody she loves being pregnant. And then there's simply this promise that God's word will never fail. All of that feels worthy of rejoicing. I would argue or submit to you that this 
Next verse, though, is where Mary steps into joy. Verse 38, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Mary had plans for her life. She was going to marry Joseph. She was going to start a family. She was going to be known as a faithful woman and the carpenter's wife. And for her, that probably sounded like a really good story. This was the story she wanted to live out. Or at least we would imagine in how she is described that this is the story that she wanted to live out. And yet her response to God is not, hey, actually, I have a good story that I'm kind of excited about, and I'm not quite sure how this fits. Instead, her response is to say, God, this is your story. God, may, may your words about me come true. Premarital pregnancy was not part of her plan. Being outcast by her family, like we talked about last week, as the likely outcome of this situation was not part of the plan. A crazy story about an angel as the only thing to explain herself was not part of the plan. And for sure, trying to raise the son of God was not part of the plan. And yet Mary says, I am yours. May the words you say about me come true. Her response, and I, I don't want to miss the whole response, because her response immediately is fear. The angel has to say, don't be afraid. Her response immediately is confusion. She's afraid and confused, and yet her response ultimately is surrender. My life is yours, God. May what you say come true. We are commanded to love the Lord our God with our whole heart and our whole soul. And to love God with our whole soul is to surrender our whole life. To love with your whole soul means to surrender your whole life. For Mary and for us, this starts with surrendering our story. We say, okay, I, I have this story and, and I may be kind of excited about where this story is going or I may have no idea where it's going, but I really would like to control where it's going or, or man, I've got some dreams about things that I want to be about or I want to see happen in my life. I've got a bucket list of things that I'm going to check off to surrender our whole soul, to love with our whole soul, to surrender our whole life. We start by surrendering our story. God, may your plans, your story come true in my life. And to be sure, the story that God is asking Mary to live out is no easy story.
to be pushed aside by her family. The rumors and gossip, the the things that people would say, not just when the world found out she was pregnant, but we, we don't know how Jesus behaved as a small child. But I have to imagine whether it was because they remembered Mary's angel story or simply because of whatever it was Jesus did as a child, I have to imagine the side eye from other parents was pretty strong as Mary was raising Jesus and his siblings. And as some of you have experienced, the death of a child is the worst pain a person can go through. God is not asking Mary to live an easy story. She says that all future nations or all future generations will call her blessed. But that doesn't mean the story that she's going to walk through is going to feel like a blessing. Maybe your story has not been easy. Certainly, the story in front of you likely not as easy as you wish it would be. And yet, it's in the hard parts of our story that we find the pathway to a soul, a life of joy. Mary would go on to have, uh, by our understanding, more sons and daughters after Jesus. Uh, And we presume uh, that there were no other angels involved in those stories. But uh, one of those boys uh, was named James. And uh, it wasn't until after Jesus's death and resurrection from the dead that James was willing to believe that his big brother, Jesus, was the one that the angel had promised his mother he was. But when he believed, he became one of the leaders in the early Jesus movement, one of the early church leaders. And uh, he wrote a letter to the early churches uh, with some of his uh, uh, wisdom collected within it, um, some things he wanted to leave with them. Uh, And that's preserved for us in the end of scripture, in the book of James. And one of the very first things that James says, essentially verse one is a greeting and verse two is this. Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. When troubles of any kind come your way, In other words, when your story hits the hard parts, the parts you'd rather not go through, you can see it as an opportunity for bitterness, which we talked about last week, or you can see it as an opportunity for joy. James says, you get to choose. Do you choose? This is just too hard and, and you choose the, the bitterness and the frustration and, and let that take over your heart and soul and strength? Or do you choose joy? 
Uh, quick story. Um, my stepbrother and I were talking at uh, Thanksgiving. Uh, some of you know that uh, one of my stepbrothers recently passed away, but my surviving stepbrother and I were talking at uh, Thanksgiving, and um, he would not uh, want to be described as a Christian. He certainly would not describe um, himself that way. He's not trying to follow Jesus with his life. But about a decade ago, his life hit uh, rock bottom, and that's uh, his story to tell. But I, I will say that AA has been very, very good for him, including uh, this belief in a higher power that is one of those 12 steps. Uh, and he prays every day to God, and he uh, surrenders his life every day to God. And um, somehow this kind of uh, topic uh, came up. Um, I don't remember what sideways way we got there. Uh, but... Um, in, in talking about this sort of surrendering himself and surrendering his perspective every day, um, he mentioned a, a story that had happened to him, I believe it was this summer, um, where in the middle of the night, while everybody's asleep, a car came barreling down their street at about 80 miles an hour, three in the morning, uh, woman driving intoxicated with something, hopped uh, the curb, totaled not one but two of his cars, um, and uh, spun around in their front yard and landed uh, headlights pointed to the front door kind of on his front porch. And, um, and he said that and, and I, before I tell you this part, I have to let you know that my stepbrother is a straight shooter. He's not going to gloss over any stories. Um, if, uh, if he had fully cussed the lady out, he would have told me um, the entire uh, tirade, I promise. Um, he said, after initially checking on everybody to make sure everybody in his house and everybody in the car is okay, he said one of his first thoughts was, I can't wait to see how God is going to do something great out of this. Now, y'all, <laughs> um, I am inspired by that. Uh, God is still working on those things in me. That is not how I look at the world. Um, but James tells us we should. <laughs> and when I watch the way my stepbrother lights up in telling that story, and he can tell you how God worked it out for good things. And, and it's not like he ignored what was bad about it. He, again, he's not going to gloss stuff over, even in the moment. He was very aware that they had three drivers who had to be at work uh, in a few hours, and, and they were down to one car. Uh, and he was aware that the lady probably did not have insurance, and she sure didn't. And, and he was aware of all those things. It was not going to be fun. He just said, I can't wait to see how God turns this out for good that somehow on the other side of this thing, there's going to be something good. There's going to be joy to be had. James says, when we run into the hard parts of our story, we have the opportunity to choose joy. Again, not ignoring the stuff that's bad and not rejoicing because it hurts, like, yay, this is terrible, but just... Just choosing joy because even in the hard parts, we can look at the whole of the story. We can look at our experience and join Mary in saying, I have seen a holy God do marvelous things for me. So somehow 
I, my, my soul, my life rejoices even in this. God has proven to you and to me through Jesus that he will love you, he will love me with all he is and with all he has. So we can consider even this hard thing an opportunity for joy. Now, the hard part for me is that if I get to write my story, which the control part of me would really like to do, if I get to write my story, I'm going to write a story uh, that doesn't have hard parts in it. Because I think it will be significantly easier to choose joy in comfort and ease. Thank you very much. But in every good story, the characters grow because of the hard parts of the story. And stories that aren't very good, that are just sappy and shallow, is because there isn't the hard parts for the character to grow through, to grow into their heroism through, to grow into who we're rooting for them to be through these hard things. And if we try to write a story that has no hard parts to it, we will miss out on growth and we will miss out on joy. Because missing out on growth, actually that doesn't always sound terrible. Like, okay, fine, I miss out on the hard parts and I don't grow and I'm just, okay, fine. But not only do we miss out on growth, but we miss out on joy and I don't think there's any way around this. We may find happiness in the easy parts of our story. But to find joy, to find the kind of attitude I was just talking about, to find a joy that lasts through anything that comes to us, we will have to go through the hard things. But it is in those hard things, through the, the trials, that our identity, our inner life, our impact grows. It's through those hard things um, that, that we um, experience, we have the opportunity to choose joy. So James continues in the next sentence, next verse. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. Needing nothing. Your soul, your life will be complete, needing nothing you will be able to love God and love others with a whole soul. James recognizes that the trials are part of how our character and our identity as those following Jesus is how this, these things, character and identity, will, will grow. And when we decide, when I decide that I want it to go my way, that I want it to be my plans, uh, that the goal of life should be to make it as easy as possible, I will miss out on that growth and joy. So look again at what Mary said in, verse, in chapter one, verse 38. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Saying, God, you tell the story. And God, you even tell me who I am. Let your words define me and define who I become. To surrender our life, to love with our whole 
soul, we surrender not only our story, but also our identity. We surrender our identity. We say, God, you tell me who I am. We, we stop trying to create who we are on our own. We stop trying to craft a, a carefully constructed image of ourselves so that we will be loved and accepted in some way. We stop working so hard to prove that we have value. And we accept what he says about us, that we are accepted that we are loved, that we are his intentional creation. We let his words define who we are and who we're becoming. Not that we don't work on our character, like we're partnering with God in this. Again, it is our choice. Do we choose bitterness or do we choose joy? We have choices to make and a part to play as we partner with God in our own growth, but but we stop writing the rules for our character. We stop writing our own definition of success. We stop trying to force a great story and we let him write a great story. We stop trying to prove that we're loved because again, he has already proven his love for us in Jesus coming and dying and leaving behind that empty tomb. We surrender as Jesus did so that we might have joy. And in that way, we love with our whole soul. I mentioned that Luke used that word CK in in three places, Uh, Luke 1 and Luke 10 that we've already looked at, but also in Luke 12, where he records uh, Jesus telling a story. Luke 12, starting in verse 16. Then Jesus told them a story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all of my crops. Then he said, I know. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have enough room to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to my soul, say to my CK, my soul, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. And a more uh, literal translation would say, your soul, your CK, will be taken from you this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? Yes, Jesus says, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with God. Reminds me of uh, a different place that that word CK is used by the gospel writer Mark a question that Jesus asks, what does it gain? What good does it do? What good does it do for a person to gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Luke continues quoting Jesus as, as saying, this is why I tell you not to worry about your soul, not to worry about your life, not to worry about your CK 
not to worry about what you will eat or drink because your life, your soul is more than food that you eat or clothes that you wear. Now, this is not, I don't think, a lesson in uh, surrendering uh, all of your money and starving and wearing burlap sacks around. This is a lesson in what you aim for, in what drives you, what you're working for, what your goals are. To love God with your whole soul, with your whole life, is to surrender your rewards to surrender your rewards. And, and I would understand if, if you would say, well, but I earned my rewards. Like God gave me uh, this job and that's great. Like I put in the work and I earned the rewards from it. Why would God ask me to give those up? Why would he take them from me? Why, why would he require that of me? I have earned it. And I would say, yeah, you're right. You did. And, and we'll talk more uh, next week about what you're capable of. And in this case, what I'm really talking about, I'm, I'm talking more about surrendering your aim, surrendering what you aim for. We know we're all motivated by different things, and motivation is not bad. In fact, I think it's a very good thing. It, it drives us to accomplish more good uh, having something that uh, pushes us forward into doing good things, that drives us forward is great. It's why we have phrases like eye on the prize, right? Because we know there's this thing out there that we're trying to accomplish, maybe as an individual or a family or as a company. And it was, okay, eye on the prize because we want to be motivated to do the good thing that we're trying to do. I think that's great. The question is, what prize are your eyes on? When... When you go to work, what's the reward that you're looking for? Is it a raise? Is it applause? Maybe you're just working for the weekend, right? Just, just trying to put in your hours to be able to pay for the man cave or the spa day or whatever it may be. I go to work just so I can have the kind of rest and entertainment I want later. What reward are you aiming for? And what if God has a different reward in mind? What if God has something different that he wants you to be attending to at work? When you engage with your kids or when you engage with your parents, what rewards are you looking for? Are you doing whatever you need to do for their love and acceptance? Are, are you just trying to get them to do what you want them to do? What if God has something he wants to do for them through you? What kind of amazing reward would that be? What if there's something that God wants to do in you through them? What are you aiming for? What are you focused on? What about when you're working on following Jesus? 
you're uh, reading your Bible, you're loving your neighbor, what reward are you aiming for? Are, are, are you just trying to, you know, get a, a point on a cosmic scoreboard? Another notch in your evangelist belt? Are you trying to get God to, to accept you? Trying to make sure that God will love you because you're doing the right things? What if, what if God already loves you? What if you're already accepted and you don't have to earn it? What if God already takes great joy in you? Because that's really the story of Christmas, is a God who would give up everything he has a right to, to let you know that he is with you and he loves you and to live a life of joy despite the hard things that come at him and come at us. The story of Jesus is a God who loves you so much that he would surrender his whole life for you and for me to defeat death, to unravel sin, to love God with all of your soul. You stop trying to define your story and your identity and your rewards and you let an all-knowing, fully loving God do that. And I understand that this word surrender can be really scary. And it goes back to some things we were talking about last month about whether God is good or not. Because if God is not, then to surrender is a terrible idea. But if God is all-knowing and all-loving and is fully good, then to surrender the definition of our story and our identity and our rewards to him only makes sense. It just makes sense. And if we're going to respond to this all-loving, fully good God by loving with all of our heart and all of our soul, all of our strength, then we will turn our story and identity and rewards over to him question then is how do we do that? Because I don't in any way want to make it sound like this is easy. This is a daily surrendering, sometimes an hourly surrendering or a minute by minute surrendering, depending on who's driving you crazy at the time. And we are going to need strength and courage and focus to be able to do this. So where do we find the strength and courage and focus to be able to surrender in this way? Jesus surrendered his whole life. Where did he find the strength and courage and focus to do that? Because he knew it would not be easy. We see him the night before his death praying so hard he is sweating blood. He knows this is hard. Where does he find the strength and the courage and the focus to go through with it? Luckily for us, uh, the writer of the letter of Hebrews in the New Testament tells us exactly where Jesus found that strength and that focus. 
It's in Hebrews chapter 12. It's verse 2. And it also answers the question of how do we do this? Verse 2. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Jesus did it because of the joy awaiting him. We do this the same way that Jesus did, by keeping our eyes on the joy. By keeping our eyes on the joy, it'd be so easy when we go through the hard parts to keep our eyes on the circumstances in front of us, to keep our eyes on the hard stuff. And when we do that, we grow in our bitterness. When we keep our eyes on what is beyond the hard part, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, when when we are able to say, I can't wait to see how Jesus is going to work this thing out, when we keep our eyes on the joy set before us, when we say, I know... Like Mary said, I know that God has done marvelous things and I don't know what kind of marvelous things he's gonna do in this, but I believe he's going to do it. And we keep our eyes on the other side of the hard things that we're walking through. We keep our eyes on Jesus who has already won the victory in the moment we're in and he's on the other side, ready to give us the gift of joy as we choose it through the journey we're going through. When we keep our eyes on the opportunity we have to choose joy, then we are able to surrender ourselves over to this God who has done marvelous things. Jesus knew that his story contains some really hard parts. I don't know when Mary realized that her story was going to contain really hard parts or how hard it would get. But Jesus knew at some point, by the time we're reading about him at 30-ish years old, he knows the story is going to be hard. He definitely knows as he gets near the end that it's going to be really, really hard. And yet for the joy set before him, he knew his story would lead to joy, would lead to relationship with you, would lead to eternity for you, would lead to heaven for him, that death would be defeated, that sin and the curse of sin would be unraveled. And I don't know what joy will be for you. I don't know how on the other side of the hard things you're walking through, how on the other side of the hard things the people you love are walking through, there is going to be joy. I don't know how in the midst of the hard things there's going to be joy, but I know that scripture promises there will be. We have the opportunity to choose to keep our eyes on the joy or our eyes on the bitterness, to let bitterness tear apart our hearts and our families and our community, or to focus on the marvelous things God has done, to focus on the ways he has proven his love, to focus our eyes on Jesus and the story that he lived out, to keep our eyes on the joy and find on the other end of the hard things that there is something that will make you more whole and complete. There is a character within you that is more loving and patient. There is 
a reward more worth it than food and clothes. On the other side of your surrendered story, there is a life, a soul full of joy. Full of joy. So keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your eyes on the joy. And watch as your soul comes to life and joy fills you up. As the worship team comes up, let me pray for us. Father God, for some of us, choosing joy is really easy. And I don't know why that is. For some of us, it's really hard. And God, we get so focused on the things that are right in front of us, the the problems we see, the frustrations at work, the frustrations with family, the frustrations with the world. And we get so bogged down in things not being the way that we want them to be, and we get so frustrated. And it's so much easier to lean into the bitter and to find other people to be bitter with us. And, And yet you patiently... Remind us of all the ways that you love us. Remind us that you're working things out for good. Remind us that there's an opportunity for us to choose joy. God, would you surround us with people who choose joy? Would you give us the strength and courage and focus to be that for other people? That in a world that thrives on bitterness and anger and fear, God, would we be people who bring joy, who point out the ways that we can choose joy. People who keep our eyes on you and what you're doing. Father, would you wash away the bitterness that we hold on to and would you replace it with joy? Would you turn our eyes to all the reasons that we have to choose joy? even in the hard parts? And would we trust you? Would we surrender our lives to you? God, we want to be people who do that, who surrender our lives to you and find that you fill us up with your joy. So we uh, lift ourselves, our church, our community to you. God, would you fill us with your joy? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for checking out our podcast. Find out more or connect online at easthillsalliance.org.